I got home right after my call to New Zealand that morning and began to pray, worship, and cry. I was scared. I didn't trust God to take care of my son. I didn't trust him because it was hard for me to understand that he loved him more than I did. I didn't trust him because I didn't see the evidence of his provision right then. I'd had to repent for my thoughts and my words to the Lord. It was painful. I eventually came to this point where I felt I could trust the Lord. And while hiding in my room, I stood up and held my hands out in front of me and said, Lord, here's my son. I'm scared. I'm scared of what people will say. I'm scared you won't come through. And I doubt this is where I'm supposed to go. But because you said to do it and you're asking me to trust you, I give you my son. I'm Jeff Matero, and you're listening to At The Table. You know, I believe when we gather and share stories of what God has done in our lives, it feeds our spirit and encourages our faith. So sit, listen, and enjoy as I speak with Christians from around the world as they tell stories about God and the amazing things He's done. To get notified as soon as a new episode is released, please click the subscribe button. We'd also love to hear from you. So leave us a review on whatever podcast listening app you use. And without any further ado, let's get to it. Welcome to At The Table. Yo, 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 what's up, what's up? Thank you again for coming and listening to me on At The Table. Again, I'm reading just because, uh, nope, that's not what I'm reading. I'm reading Because Jesus is a book I wrote. Again, it's got my name on it, so I know that I wrote it. And um, I think we're on chapter four. Yeah, let me see. One, two, three, four. Yeah. So this is my, um, this is probably my favorite, favorite, favorite chapter. Um, Because this talks about everything that the Lord had done all the way up to me leaving for New Zealand um, in just like a three, four day period of time. Um, It was awesome. So without any further ado, here we are. Because Jesus, chapter four, our faithful father, nothing's coming. As Christians, we read about God performing amazing miracles in the Bible. In the New Testament, we read about Jesus doing awesome things or the acts of the apostles or the startup of the church. Peter and John prayed for the paralytic outside the synagogue in Jerusalem, and he immediately got up and walked. How about the Old Testament? There are a ton of crazy stories in there where God does some wild stuff. What about the I heard stories? You know, the ones where people say, I heard this guy speaking the other day and, and then they go into detail, um, such as a poor family suddenly had food show up at their doorstep right as they were praying for food. You know, at a worship service, the anointing of the Holy Spirit hit people so hard that oil was dripping from their heads and so on. And ever since I started reading and hearing these stories, I've wanted to experience and be a part of them as well. Like one of my favorite teachers says, I want to be the one telling the stories of God's power, not the one hearing about them. From the time I was accepted into YWAM to the time I actually left for New Zealand, What I thought was going to happen never did. As soon as I was accepted, people who had done YWAM or had known someone who had done YWAM came out of the woodwork. With the large school fees now staring me in the face, all I heard were awesome stories about how God provided everything for others. Naturally, I thought if I send out support letters, talk to people and pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and pray, all the money I needed would come in. So you understand what exactly God did for me, let me describe what I needed financially. I had a year-old $21,000 car to sell that was only worth about 
$8,000. On the first of every month, I had had a $600 in child support due. I had to purchase a plane ticket to get to New Zealand, which ran around $1,500. And to top it off, I had the thousands of dollars I needed to pay for the school. I thought because I was accepted, it would all be nicely taken care of before I left. I thought I would find someone to buy my car for what I owed. I thought I would have all my fees paid for. I even thought all $3,600 for the six months of child support would come in. I actually told God I wouldn't go if I didn't have the money to cover Daniel's child support before I left. Not a recommended strategy, by the way. Over the next six months, I did everything I could to raise this small fortune. I spoke with people about what I was doing, family, friends, church leaders, and the occasional peer. None of them were, quote unquote, able to help, or at least they were nice enough to make it sound this way. In the end, I was only able to raise $1,000, which was just enough to pay my room deposit and minor processing fees. Basically, the $1,000 made it so it could hold my spot in the school. With my last military paycheck having gone to child support for my son's bills, I was left with nothing to pay for the remainder of my fees, let alone purchase an airline ticket to New Zealand. It was at this point people started saying dumb things like, maybe it's not God's will for you to go, or maybe it just isn't perfect timing, or my personal favorite, it'll all work out for the best no matter what happens. No way. I could feel every ounce of my body, mind, and spirit being pulled to go to New Zealand. I couldn't explain it in any other way than that. I felt as if I had to go. I know people say you shouldn't follow your feelings all the time, but with all the other things confirming I was supposed to go, I went with feelings. Surrendering a Son to the Father, Monday, January 9th, 2006. With the start of the school in six days, it really began to look as if I wouldn't make it. At this point, I had only had one or two friends who stood completely by me, speaking encouragement. They would say, stay faithful, keep believing, encouraging me every day to have faith and keep trust in what God was saying. On Monday morning, January 9th, 2006, I called my last ray of hope for financial help. The conversation didn't last long. I explained my needs for a plane ticket and the support for my son. And the person on the other end said, I'm just not able to help at this time. And my heart sank. As I hung up the phone, I heard the Holy Spirit say, you cannot put your trust in man. Even though I had heard it over and over again, my heart still ached at the thought of not making it. I knew I should still believe, but I called the school in New Zealand and talked to Josie, the school leader. I asked her what steps I needed to take to get the $1,000 back that I had sent. I didn't think I was going to make it. She'd asked me to hold off for a day and let the staff pray for me and then call back later that evening. I said, okay. Inside, I didn't want to call back because part of me didn't believe anything was going to change. Later that year, after attending the school, I found out that that day I had made that call was the morning of the first day of staff training for the leaders of the school. But we'll talk more about that later. After my conversation with Josie, I called my friend from Seattle. She told me she had been praying all morning about me and asked what the, and asked what the Lord was going on. He told her, there can be no trust in man. None. It started to seem clearer and clearer. After talking to her, 
I called another friend and the friend told me that I had put limitations on God by saying that I had to have all the money for Daniel's support before I left. They told me that even though I might not realize it, God loves my son more than I do. And maybe he wanted me to trust him with my son so he could provide for him. This was hard for me to grasp, as I'm sure it would be for any parent. I truly did love my son more than anything. So for my friend to say that there was someone out there who loved Daniel more than me really caught me off guard. For God to want me to trust him to take care of Daniel while I was away was hard for me to do, even if it was God who was asking me to trust him. I went home and did the hardest thing I had ever done in my relationship with the Lord. I gave my son to him. Sure, I had done it with words, but I hadn't done it with my heart. And it didn't happen immediately either. It literally took me all day. I got home right after my call to New Zealand that morning and began to pray, worship, and cry. I was scared. I didn't trust God to take care of my son. I didn't trust him because it was hard for me to understand that he loved him more than I did. I didn't trust him because I didn't see the evidence of his provision right then. I'd had to repent for my thoughts and my words to the Lord. It was painful. I eventually came to this point where I felt I could trust the Lord. And while hiding in my room, I stood up and held my hands out in front of me and said, Lord, here's my son. I'm scared. I'm scared of what people will say. I'm scared you won't come through. And I doubt this is where I'm supposed to go. But because you said to do it and you're asking me to trust you, I give you my son. At that moment, I felt like something was being cut away from me. It was like something was being taken away from me that I thought I needed to hold on to. And it was fear. In the evening, I went back to the church and called the school again. Jeremy, one of the staff members, told me that they had prayed for me all day and felt that the Holy Spirit said for them to buy my plane ticket. I was speechless, and I accepted their help. Flashback. A couple of days before I was supposed to leave for New Zealand, I got to talk to Neil. I told him about my financial situation and how nothing was coming in as far as support. I told him how I was starting to doubt I was going to make it to the school, and all he did was start to laugh. He said, that's awesome. This is the perfect opportunity for God to provide. He was stoked, and I was angry. I was so angry, I told him to shut up and hung up the phone. But Neil was right. This is awesome. I now had a plane ticket to New Zealand. Three times in the Matthews. Tuesday, January 10th, 2006. With the ticket being purchased, the opportunity to go to New Zealand became more real. After I got off the phone with Jeremy, I went to one of my leaders with a question. With the ticket being purchased, the door to go has been opened. But I have my car to sell and my son's support to pay for. Do I still go? I asked. He said, do you believe you should go? Yes, I replied. Now that there's an open door, the only thing left to do is ask God, do I stay or go? If it's go, the Lord will take care of whatever issue is in front of you at the time. He'll take care of it in his time, but you won't need to worry about any of those things. You need to have the confidence when you step on that plane bound for New Zealand that God is stepping on it with you. So later you will not question whether or not you're supposed to go. It's simple. Do I stay or do I go? I continued to try to talk myself out of going. I didn't really believe God was going to provide. I said, but God has already been to New Zealand. And he replied, well, maybe he wants to show New Zealand to you. But what about my car and my son? 
Jeff, if it's go, the Lord will take care of whatever issue is in front of you at the time. I left that meeting irritated because I wanted Greg to give me the answer. I wanted him to say, yes, go. I was really tired of asking and asking and asking, but I had no choice. I started praying again that night. And when I woke up the next day, I prayed and worshiped some more. I began asking the question, do I stay or do I go? I really was asking about Daniel and if he would take care of him. Hours went by with nothing but silence. However, I remember I had been taught that if God doesn't answer you initially, he will answer eventually. And with the school starting in less than a week, I knew if I kept asking, I would hear my answer by then. As I continued asking, the time to go was getting closer and closer, and I still needed time to prepare to leave. I had a room to pack and a car to sell. And since I wasn't keen on packing, I grabbed the yellow pages and began to look for a dealership to take my car to. Like I mentioned earlier, my car was only worth around $8,000, even though I owed more than $21,000. It's called back equity, folks. The bank that financed my car said that if I found someone who would take it for $13,000, then they would take my name off the loan, so the search was on. With so many dealerships in Bend, I didn't know where to start, so I prayed. And the one that stood out the most was a dealership called Thrifty Car Sales. So I went there first. As I pulled in, an eager car salesman jockeyed up for position to help me first. Little did he know, I wasn't looking to buy. I stepped out of my money trap and began describing what I needed help with. Looking from me to the car, then back to me, the salesman patiently waited for me to stop talking. Let me take it for a drive and I'll see what we can do, he said. I think he was just being nice and going through the motions when he knew it wouldn't work out. After the test drive and some more minor writing on a clipboard, the nice salesman told me what I already knew. He said, there's nothing we can do. You just owe too much and it's not worth a whole lot right now. Sorry. I wasn't upset at all. He had said what I expected him to say. So I jumped back into my 2004 Oldsmobile Allegro and headed to my next turndown. About an hour later and a couple more we can't help you statements, I called my friend's mom. She told me she was friends with a sales manager at a dealership in Bend. I asked her which one it was and if she could call him and tell him I was on my way. Sure, she said. The dealership is Thrifty Car Sales. Of course it is. Why wouldn't it be? I replied as I started laughing. I then explained I'd been there an hour ago and what the salesman had said, but she urged me to go back and speak with the manager, so I did. As I pulled up, I saw no salesman battling for this customer. They all just stood there looking at me as if I had a rare disease. Finding the manager was easy. I just walked up to the dealership secretary I'd seen just an hour before and asked. He was a pretty cool guy, strong handshake, and I gave him the rundown. He too just looked back and forth at the car and me, after which I heard the same words I'd heard before. Sorry, bud, we just can't help you. This time, I felt like a fool. More hours went by and more rejection statements were given by all the big dealerships in town, and I was running out of time and ideas. It was about then Jesse called me. Hey, dude, what's up? What are you doing? He asked. I'm trying to sell my car, but no one's willing to take it. I owe way too much. Dude, that's lame. But hey, one of my guys in my small group has a dad who owns a dealership in town. You want me to find out which one it is and get back to you? Sure, I said, but I already knew what he was going to say. He was going to send me back to thrifty car sales so I could be rejected a third time at the same dealership in one day. And sure enough, 
When Jesse called back, the words I heard were, thrifty car sales. Okay, God, what's going on? I asked. I had no options. I only had two hours until small group. And I had no answers to the questions I was praying about and no takers on the car. So I went back anyway. Third time's a charm, right? Wrong. The owner wasn't there. I had missed him by about 10 minutes. I was super bummed and felt like an idiot. I wondered if all the staff members thought I was slow and just didn't get it. Like no wasn't a good enough answer for me. This was it. I was done. I decided I should have packed up all day instead. I would have at least saved gas. So I drove my overpriced American-made car home. I said to myself, I need to spend more time praying and asking God what to do anyway. Tomorrow, I'll deal with the car. However, impatience set in. I wanted to know what to do. What about my car? What about Daniel? Did I go? I tried not to get frustrated as I prayed, but I couldn't help it. And it was around 5.30 that evening when I heard the Holy Spirit speak two passages to me. They were Matthew 16, 24 through 26, which was about me trusting God with my life, and Matthew 7, 7 through 11, which is about me trusting God with my son. Matthew 16, 24 through 26. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Matthew 7, 7 through 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks him for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? As I read these verses, I knew this was my yes. I wrote the passages down on a 3 by 5 index card and stuck it into my back pocket and headed to small group. I didn't tell anyone what I'd heard or showed anyone the card I was carrying. I just waited. I wanted to test the words I had just heard. I knew that if it was the Lord speaking, he would give those passages one more time. Two hours later, I arrived at small group. They all knew it was my last night there. One of the leaders spoke up and told everyone that they wanted to lay hands on me and pray and commission me to go. It was then I told him I had had a word to go, but I wanted to test it first. And when the time came for me to be prayed for, I was asked to come and sit in the center of the room. Fifteen minutes went by, and I had amazing words spoken over me, but God knew what I was looking for. I needed someone to speak the specific words one last time. It was time to finish up, and the group leader said one more person could pray for me before we were finished. And the last person to come up to me was a friend of mine, John Collins. He said, Jeff, I believe the Lord has given this to me. This is for your son, Matthew 7, 7 through 11. And he proceeded to read it out loud. That was it. That was what I was looking for. And then I heard the Lord say, I'll take care of him if you go. Trust me. I'm asking you to trust me. I mean, I still tear up thinking about this. So I took the step. I said yes to his yes. Shortly after John finished, the small group 
commissioned me, and I knew without a doubt I was supposed to go. I was also given $1,250 after the prayer was finished. One of the verses given to me during my commissioning was Habakkuk 1.5. Look around the nations, look and be amazed, for I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe if someone told you about it. I didn't understand it at the time what the Lord was saying, but starting the next day, I would find out. Thrifty Car Sales, Wednesday, January 11, 2006. The following morning, I was woken up by a loud and annoying sound of my cell phone ringing. I thought, who in their right mind is calling me now? And I looked at the clock and it read 8.30 a.m. I reached for my phone and looked at the number. I recognized it and became really confused. It was Thrifty Car Sales. Why are they calling me? Hello? I answered in a curious slash eager tone. Is this Jeff? Yes, I said. Hi, this is so-and-so. I'm the owner of Thrifty Car Sales. How are you? Good. What can I do for you? I asked. Well, I was told you came by last night, and I talked with Jesse, who told me what's going on. I would like to help you with your car. Do you think you can bring it down and drop it off today? We'll take care of everything else. Yes. Is around four okay? I need to finish moving some stuff. Sure thing. See you then, Jeff. Click. What just happened? I thought. I'd gone there three times and was rejected three times, but now they want to help. I literally, I remember in my room, everyone else was asleep in the house. I literally yelled hallelujah. Just like Greg said, if it's go, the Lord will take care of every issue that is in front of you at the time. I had less than a day to finish getting ready. My plane left the next morning for New Zealand and I wasn't done packing my room or my suitcase but I just wanted to get rid of the car and four o'clock couldn't come fast enough. As soon as I handed the keys over and signed the paperwork, there was freedom. No more debt, no more loans. It was a great place to be. The next morning, some friends drove me to the Redmond airport and I didn't know what to expect. All I knew was that God said go and I was going. I was going to a place I'd never been before, physically or spiritually. For sure, I was a bit scared, but I wouldn't trade the experience for anything. It had the feeling of exploration attached to it. It was an adventure. It was the start of my adventure and my journey. Amidst the struggle that took place within me and the people speaking their words of advice, with God's help, I was able to stay faithful to him. And throughout everything, he showed me his faithfulness. get notified as soon as a new episode is released, please click the subscribe button. We'd also love to hear from you. So leave us a review on whatever podcast listening app you use. 